0: There's some healing happening right now. If you need a miracle, the water is stirring. Step in. Occasionally, I get some sensations in my body that are not what I had the night before or the day before. <laughs> And this, this might sound weird to you, and you might explain it away, but I'm going to take a step of faith. Is anybody here prepared to take a step of faith with me? I don't know if it's the shirt I'm wearing, <laughs> but my chest is being irritated. Irritated. There's healing happening right now. There's healing happening right now. We don't have to rush. There's a holy atmosphere right now. Thank you, Jesus. For healing do you know healing was performed accomplished completed the same way in the same time that salvation was when Christ went to the cross and we took communion this morning and there was two elements in communion and one of the elements was his broken body and it says he his body was broken so that ours could be whole And the stripes that he took was for our healing. So when he went to the cross, he did not just give us salvation. He gave us a complete package of healing as well. And his blood, which is life is in the blood. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness and it gives us right standing with him. So, Father, right now as we are standing here, Lord, we receive your healing. We receive salvation. We receive the work that you did on the cross. And we thank you for that. And if you agree with that, and if you want it, and if you say, yes, Lord, I just want to say, you say amen, or you say so be it right now. Hallelujah. Children, you may be dismissed for Sunday school. Pastor Sean, thank you for being sensitive. For listening and taking a step of faith. Thank you. We've been spending our time this year talking about grace. And we've seen in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 how God is able to give us all grace that goes above and beyond, so that everything and anything that we need, He gives us the grace for. I mean, that's powerful. And if you look at that passage, it actually is a passage embedded in that passage, or that verse is embedded in that whole context, is with respect to giving. God can give more than you can give. Think about that for a moment. So we've spent a few weeks looking at the grace of God. We, we went into, jumped into Romans, and as we started into Romans chapter 5, I realized I can't just do Romans 5, I can't just do Romans 6, I can't just do Romans 7, I gotta do like Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. And so when we look to chapter 5, Paul, in the amazing way that he writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about grace, and he talks about the newness of Grace. Grace gives us a new picture. And he gives this picture of grace, and he says sin entered through one man, but in the same way, it even abounds greater through one man, Jesus. Salvation and healing and the victory. And he gives all these pictures of the victory of grace. And you and I no longer live in a defeated world. You and I no longer live in a place that we are under bondage, but we now live in a place of victory because of what Christ has done. We reign because of the grace that he has. And chapter 5 gets everybody up on their feet. Chapter five is like, this is exciting. This is awesome. This is great. And then chapter six, he says, and by the way, you've received this. And now this is how you should live. And it starts in chapter 6 with, how should we then live? Should we live in sin that grace may abound? And Paul spends that whole chapter talking about, no. You don't live in it so that grace may abound. You live in it so that you experience the goodness of God. You experience the grace of God. You experience the overwhelmingness of God. You experience his salvation. You experience his favor. And we actually have a responsibility in our lives To live a life that is full of his grace. Then he gets to chapter 7. And we're going to spend our time this morning in chapter 7. And what I want to do is I want to read the chapter. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to read the chapter. Because it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if there's anything you get this morning, I want you to get the word of God. Because the word of God can be quickened inside of you better than I can speak. So if you're going to sleep, wait till I start preaching. Not while I'm reading the word of God. So if you can turn in your Bibles to chapter 7, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard. And actually before I do that, Cora, you mentioned to me, we're going we're gonna to take a moment. Cora came to me this morning, and her father, Ray, they live up in Clearwater, is that correct? Um, he messaged Cora last night that he went into emergency, and his lungs, um, and for this, the winter time, his lungs have been running at maybe 50% capacity, if that. And recently, he had a cold and congestion, and it seemed like his lungs were even less than that. And so he is in um, serious condition right now in the fact that he's at an emergency and they're determining what to do. So I want to declare healing for Ray. Do, do you know in the Bible when people came to Jesus, they didn't come for prayer? Think about this. They didn't say, can you pray for me? They say, could you heal me? The the guy with his, his his son that was dead, he didn't say, Can you pray for my son? He says could you make him alive? We need to change our expectation coming to Jesus. I'm I'm stepping on a limb. I'm stepping out on a limb. And I'm not taking a a, 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 a a saw behind me. I wrote last night, "Faith paints you in a corner." Abraham, his name was changed to father to father of many nations, and he walks around telling everybody, "My name is Abraham. How many kids you got? None. But I'm going to be the father of many nations. You don't think that puts you in a corner? Noah, what are you doing, Noah? Well, I'm building a ship. Why are you building it on dry land? Because it's going to rain. You don't think that put him in a corner? David, standing before Goliath, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? He's a pep squeak. He has acne. He has greasy looking face. He's got, and and here he is a teenager and he stands before this guy that's like nine feet tall. That's bigger than Hulk Hogan or Andrew the Giant. And he stands before him and he says, you are going down. Do you think that didn't put him in a corner? So I'm in his corner. I'm on this limb. and I don't care because God is the one that supplies the tree. So, Lord, we declare healing for Ray right now. Actually, Lord, maybe that stuff I was feeling in my chest, I would think it was for my wife, but I think maybe it also was for Ray. So, Lord, we speak healing and clearness in his lungs right now. Amen. Amen. We do wild stuff here at Solid Rock, don't we? We are like, you cannot define us. We go after the ridiculous, the crazy, the redonkulous, the fantastic, the unbelievable. Why? Because we serve a God that does it. Hmm. My God is able. (laughs) He's not dead. I read this quote from Mahatma Gandhi, and, and he was a... Uh, I may have said his name wrong, but he said his, (laughs) his religion, he said, gave him no hope because there was nothing they could do to rectify or to correct or to change. I'm here to tell you my relationship with God gives me grace that I don't earn that I don't even deserve, but he gives it to me, and he says, David, I'm going to be your righteousness, and, and I'm going to stand in the gap for you. All right, get to Romans 7, David. Verse 1. Don't you know, brethren, for I'm speaking of those that know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Then he talks about how in a husband and wife relationship, that they are together unless one passes away. The other one is then free. Therefore, my brethren, in verse 4, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another to him who has raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So he's saying, just like you are free from the law when you're dead, so in the same way, he's talking now metaphorically, but he's also painting a picture saying, you're free from the law when you've been accepted Christ because when we accept Christ, we saw this last week, when we accept Christ, we die with him, we get buried with him, and we rise with him. So, when I accepted him, I was on the cross and I died. My old self died. It's dead. And then I went to the grave, and three days later, Christ raised and he rose from the dead and he defeated death. And so I rise in that newness of life. And so, Paul is referring back to that in this statement. And he says, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the flesh or of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For what I would have not known about covetousness or coveting, if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment which was to result in life produced or proved to result in death for me. For sin taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause for death for me? May it never be. Rather it It was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Lord, help us understand what's being said here. (laughs) For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand, for I am practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And I'm not getting confused. I will unravel this for you. I I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. In other words, I find the principle that I'm the one who wants to do good, but evil's present in me. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Father, would you take your word and ingrain it in our hearts? And as we take some time, Lord, to look at your word, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken my thoughts, that our ears would be open to hear, and that we would be receptive to what you have to say this morning. Amen. So I, I take this chapter, and if I could, I would break it up into four spots, or four Paragraphs. The first paragraph would be verses 1 to 6, where Paul talks about how we're de- dead to the law. And, and this passage is, is very much a continuation. If, if you study scripture, you'll find out that Paul didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2. He wrote a, a letter. And then as the scholars went through it, they divided it into chapters. So some of these verses overlap from one chapter to the next. But they tried to divide it into areas that seemed to be practical with respect to content and, and the like. But the first six verses, he talks about don't you know that as long as you're alive, you are subject to the law? He says, but if you die, you're no longer subject to the law. And then he takes a picture of a husband and wife relationship. And he says, if the husband's alive, the wife is committed to him. And if she leaves him and gets married, she commits adultery. But if he passes away, she is free because the law no longer ties her up. She's free from that. So he takes that picture. And what he's doing is saying, listen, the law used to be your master." But someone came, fulfilled that law, and then died and rose again. And because of that, when you accepted him, you died. So no longer does the past dictate or the law dictate. But now you've got a new way of living. And it's interesting in this passage, in this whole chapter, he talks about the law or the commandment. Those could be very synonymous. They could be referred to almost interchangeably. He talks about that. Then he introduces the fact that there's sin. And that seems to be warring against the law. Have you ever done something and then you've wondered, why did I do that? I've I've had conversations with somebody, my wife. and, And as we're conversing... I want to say something, but I know it's not going to be productive. And I know all you husbands can relate. And I just want to prove my point, but I know it's not the way to do it. And I know peace is a better way. But all of a sudden, something comes out. And it's like, oh, why did I do that? There are sometimes we do things. And what that is, is that's a battle. That's an internal thing. And Paul's talking about this in this passage. He goes, The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. He says, In fact, he says, I will. And I love this. He says, I will. I used to think the will was powerful, but you know what? You cannot will yourself to salvation. You cannot will yourself to keeping the law. Because if you could, and if the law could make you righteous, then there would be no need for the cross. So he's saying, this picture And all these requirements. In fact, if you studied commandments, you'll find that God gave 10 commandments. They made a movie out of it. You know what the Jewish people did? They took those 10 commandments and they made 613 commandments out of those. Then Jesus comes and he says, No, there's one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The, the Jewish people, you know, the, the, the commands were so hard on them. And then when they did something wrong, they were guilty and they couldn't do anything of themselves. They actually had to take the blood of, a, of an animal in order to appease the guilt, but it did not settle it. The law could not accomplish that. And so in these first six verses, he's talking about the law. I wrote down in my notes, the topic of this paragraph is the reality that we are dead to the law. It does not control us anymore. We've been married or raised to another, a better. If you study Hebrews, it uses the word better. Isn't that good to know that every time God does something, he's always improving? So, if God is putting his finger on you to get rid of something in your life, you can trust him that he wants to do something better in your life. So, we've been married or raised to another, and this better, and this is a little phrase in this passage, but I think this is powerful, it produces fruit to God. And I want you to see that he says that when we have this newness of life, what it does is it produces fruit. It doesn't perform fruit. And I wrote in my notes that there's do not confuse production with performance. Production is abiding. John 15. Performance is striving. In the Old Testament, they strove. They did. If you, there's, there's all these neat little phrases that you get with the law. One of them is, in the, the law said, do, then live. Grace says, believe, live, and then do. And you get your doing out of your believing and your living. Whereas in the Old Testament, you got your living out of what you did. And so what happened when Jesus came, Jesus upset the apple cart and he revised and he put it right side up. And he said, this is the way it used to be. You used to do, then live. He says, now I want to introduce you to me and through me, you live and then you do. You see how he switched it? That's the beauty of a relationship with God. In the Old Testament, it was performance. In the New Testament, it's producing. And don't confuse the two. God is not against producing, but you produce by abiding in the vine. And so Paul is writing here, he says, uh, the law says, you do, you live. Grace says, you believe, you live, you do. So he gives this first passage, and the, the first paragraph, and he's talking about the law. In verses 7 to 12, he then says, is the law evil? Because every time I try to do something, it seems like there's things against me. And if you study this passage, you'll find out that what happened is the law exposed sin. I'll give you an example. Speed limits. If there was no speed limit, Kieran, what speed could you go? (laughs) We have no speed limit in our driveway. We just have us standing there going, slow down, slow down, slow down. But if there's no speed limit, you can go whatever speed you want. But all of a sudden, a speed limit shows up, and there's a sign on the highway that says 100K. You know what happens? It doesn't just happen to Kieran. In fact, he probably does it much better than many of us. But it says 100, and I'm thinking, but I need to go 105. And if I go 105, I can argue that my speedometer isn't quite 100% correct. So I've got a fudge factor. And I'm going to take a 10% fudge factor. And I've got a police officer listening to me right now who's going to be speaking to me after church. (laughs) But what happens is when the law comes... All of a sudden, what used to be okay or wasn't an issue, now all of a sudden becomes an issue. And sin, the the law is not sin. The commandment is not sin. When you tell your children, this is what I want you to do, that's not sin. But what happens is sin comes and it takes advantage of that boundary or that parameter. And it says, well, who said that? Isn't that okay? Why not try this? And actually, the law is good, righteous, and holy. And what it does is it exposes sin for what sin is. Sin does not play fair. It will take advantage of every little thing it can in order to win or to cause death. And so Paul is explaining all this and writing this, and he says, So now you've got this dilemma, you've got sin, but he says it's not because the law is bad. In fact, I wouldn't know sin without the law. The law is not bad. It's a good thing to honor your parents. It's a good thing not to covet. It's a good thing to put God first. It's a good, and all these things are good, but what happens is when that law came, all of a sudden it was like, I wonder what's on the other side of that fence. You tell your child, don't touch the stove. What do you think's the first thing they want to do? And it's not the child that's the problem that's a part of something that's happening inside of us. And Paul is explaining this. And then he, so verses 7 to 12, he's talking about the difference between the law and sin. And basically, the law gets a bad rap. The law is not bad. The law points to Christ. Christ. But what happened is the law had all these rules and commands and the do's and the don'ts. And because of that, sin took an advantage on that and it wrestled with people, the person, the individual. And you can see that even with Adam and Eve. What, did, what happened is the serpent came and said, are you really going to die? Is that really what God said? What did it do? It took occasion over that one instruction, that one command. The summary of verses 7 to 12, it basically is talking about the law. Is it evil then? And he says, no. But because of the law, sin cannot hide. I got a greater appreciation for the law because some of those things would produce bad things in me, but I couldn't figure them out. And all of a sudden God says, no, this is the law and this way, and also, it's, it's like you giving your child direction. And what does that do? It produces life. It produces good in them. But the funny thing is, it produces good. But we think it's producing death, and that's what Paul gets to in the next few verses. In verse 13, he asks the question, so did that which is good become a cause of death? Because the law is good, did it become a cause of death? And he says, no, absolutely not. And he's having this systematic conversation with the Roman people. And he's presenting it like a lawyer would present it in front of a judge. And he's laid all the groundwork in the previous chapters. And it's not just in chapter 5, but you go back to the other chapters, he talks about Abraham being justified by faith. And he's giving all these examples and the building this case. And he's getting, and this chapter is probably one of the most challenging chapters in the Bible. And I decided to preach it on a Sunday morning with about 20 minutes. Sometimes I gotta check my. Smart meter. But this, in verses 13 to 20, and I'm giving Cole's notes, I'm going through this quick, but because I want to get to somewhere on how this dilemma is solved. And Paul is saying here, so should we just say then that that which is good produces death? And he goes, no. And, he, and, he, and then he starts, and in verses 7 to 20, if you read it carefully, you'll find out the word I, me, myself, is used like 15 or 20 times in that short passage. And I found it interesting as I was reading it because Paul is writing, and whether he's writing personally or metaphorically, there's so many different people that have different opinions about it, but what I know is this identifies with me as well. And what I find interesting in this passage is Paul is writing as if we are now taking the responsibility of performance on ourselves, And he says, what I, what I, I want to do this and I don't. And instead, I do that. And, and, and what I want to do and what I will to do, I can't even do what I will to do. And if you read this passage, these about 10 or 11 verses, you find out the word I, me, myself, is in there. And the word God, I think, is used in there once. And I found that interesting because so often when we start to try to perform, we start to put I in front. We need to stop performing, and we need to start producing. And Paul, in this passage, is showing the dilemma of trying to perform all the requirements of the law. And this is in, the, is in the whole package, in the whole picture of grace, and how does grace work in this picture. And he gets down to the verses 15. One of the passage, one of the versions in verse 15 it says, I'm a ma- I am a mystery to myself. I just love the way that's written. I want to do this, I don't. I don't want to do that, and I do. I can't figure out this, and he goes, and I'm a mystery to myself. Don't trust yourself too much. Trust God. Because sometimes when I trust myself, I put my desires ahead of God's desires. That's not in my notes, but I thought that was pretty good. But in verses 13 to 20, Paul's basically saying, I'm incapable. I am not able. All these requirements, and I am not able To meet the requirements of what you're asking, I cannot meet them. I'm unable. I can't will it. I can't wish it. I can't want it. I can't do it. And every time I want to, I can't. In fact, usually what happens is the thing that I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing it. I'm a mystery to myself. If somebody asked me why, I'd say, I don't know. And he's in this dilemma. And basically what he says is the law made the requirement, or the law gave the requirement, but it gave no ability to produce it. Because if it gave ability to produce it, again, the cross would not be needed. And then we get to the last few verses, and this is where I wanted to spend a couple minutes in verses 21 to 25. He gets this revelation. Verse 21, it starts I find then this principle. He gets this realization I find that there's something happening here. The light bulb goes on. Ah! I'm getting it. There's a battle going on. But the funny thing is, he doesn't quite get the answer yet, but he's identified that there's a problem. He says, I I want to do the law of God. In fact, if I was to be honest with you, I'm joyful and I'm happy and I'd like to do that. That is fun. That's what I wish. Have you ever said, this is what I'd really, you know, I'd really like to be nice. I really, I'm, I'm not just saying I have, this is what I'd like to do. This is how I'd like to be. I'd I'd really like to. This is what causes me joy. Following God's commands, that's what I like. He says, but I got this other thing in me, and it just, it fights me and it battles me. And I'm not talking about a split personality. I'm not even talking about having, the old man is dead. I have a new identity in Christ. But I got to be honest with you. I find that I struggle. Now, I'm talking in a language that you don't know if it's me talking or Paul talking, so I'm just going to keep going like that. You can try to figure it out later. He states a few things. There's two laws fighting me. The law of the mind, which he refers to the law of God, I find that interesting because in Romans 12, he says, uh, be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Colossians, he said, let this mind, I believe it's in Colossians, be in you. Or in Philippians, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's there's something don't don't you didn't become a believer and then lose all cognitive thought. You become a believer, and now you've got to start thinking like a believer. Start thinking like a Havanian. Start thinking like one who is washed by the blood of the Lamb. And Paul says that transformation happens when we renovate our thinking. And he says, so I see this, but left to my own, I can't fix it. And what I want to get back to is in verse 5 and 6, he talks about bearing fruit to God. Production, performance. And if you look at this whole chapter, I can see an argument for a production life, producing life in the spirit, and I can see an argument on what happens when there's a performance aspect. Have you ever done something trying to do something for somebody, trying to perform, and it's never enough? I thought if I did this, they'd be happy. I thought if I did this, they would be satisfied. Then I did it, and then the rules changed. And what happens is we start, and it's all me, me, me. And that's kind of like what's happening with the law. It just doesn't, I see the law, it's not bad, but all of a sudden I've got this this crazy desire in me that's evil, and it's wrong, and it's exposing these things, and it's causing me to not live a life that I want. And he gets to this phrase, oh, wretched man am I. And I'd like to read just a couple verses from the Passion Translation because I think you may get a better picture of his situation and the solution because I'm not going to leave you without a solution today. I'm going to give you the solution. There's one solution. There's one answer. And he goes, what, what an agonizing situation I'm in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? And then listen to this. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. We're talking about pictures of grace. And if I was to title this sermon, I would title it the production of grace. Not the performance of grace, but the production of grace. And what does grace produce? It produces a realization that David cannot do any of this satisfying these things, but it's only because of the work of Christ. And it's only because of what he's done that I'm able now to see the satisfaction of the law because it's now dead. And now I live a new life. I live a new life and the newness of the spirit. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as I've read this passage and the dilemma he faces and the situation and the battle that he goes through, he he gets to the point where he says, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm a wretched man, but thank you, God, because it's through the power of Christ. Grace can do what you could never do. Grace can do what you could never do do because of jesus christ things that i could never do he's done them for me and i don't have to do them or perform them i get to enjoy them and i get to live a life because of what christ did and the grace that he had for me and that he poured out for me on the cross and because of that grace I can look at that inward battle and I can say, No, thanks be to God because of the power of Jesus Christ, I now have victory over those things. So, this morning, this morning, I'd like to ask a few questions in closing. And ask ask these questions and then we'll pray. And then we'll have the a few announcements and the offering. The first question I have is: will you allow grace to be productive in your life? Quit arguing, quit battling, and allow grace to produce what grace can in your life. Give it over. Give it over. Quit trying to measure up when he already measured up. This is radical. This is challenging because we are wired to produce. We're wired to perform. We're wired to make people happy. And God's saying, I've satisfied all those things. And through Jesus Christ, you are accepted. You are righteous. Will you allow grace to come into your life and affect you so that that battle is now not a battle that you have lost, but it is now something you've won because of Christ. That's the power. That's the producing that grace does. Yield to grace. Let go of trying to perform and let God. Let, tr- let go of trying to perform and let God produce. Accept the work of Christ in your life. This is a new way. We talked about the newness of grace. This is a new way of living. Next week, we're going to start by saying there's no condemnation. (laughs) Regardless of what you experienced in chapter 7, you've accepted Christ. There is no condemnation. How does that happen? That happens because of grace. Certainly not because Paul could perform anything, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace can do what you could never do. This morning, Pastor Daniel gave an opportunity for salvation. Pastor Daniel gave an opportunity for realigning our life. So, this, I just want to reiterate. You don't have to live a life of struggle. You can live a life of victory because of grace, because of Jesus. It's not a life of license. It's a life of overcoming because of the grace of Jesus. So I'd like to pray for you. And you might find yourself in two different conditions. One of us is as a believer constantly struggling or constantly, regularly, sometimes struggling with the fact that I don't think I measure up. Stop it. Stop it. Because of Christ, you measure up. So stop it. Second thing is, if you don't know Christ, you can accept eternal life. You can accept the grace that he has, the overcoming that he has, the favor that he has, the new life that he has because of what he did and has satisfied all the requirements for salvation and for reconciliation. So I'd like to pray right now. If, if any of you were in that position... Just close your eyes, if everybody could close your eyes. And I'm just going to pray, and I'd like you to join with me. Heavenly Father, and you can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that you produce what I cannot. Thank you for new life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you satisfied all the requirements. And you made a way where there was no way. Thank you, Jesus. And let me walk in grace. Let me walk in a newness of life. A life of the spirit because of the grace of Jesus and how it impacts my life. Amen. Amen.